We love you. Thank you, JR. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. If I'm a little gimpy tonight, I've, I've had back problems for years, several surgeries, and I've got a, a little problem with one of my nerves, and so my right leg goes completely numb. And so if I stumble and fall, don't worry about it, it'll wake up. And uh, so we'll just, if I can't get up, I'll just preach laying down until the feeling comes back. But it will just start doing that. And a few minutes ago, it was started doing it, and all of a sudden, my, just, it buckled. And uh, so we'll uh, wake up, leg. And uh, so, but it's good to be in Mauriceville. And I uh, forgot for a second where I was. It's good to be in Mauriceville, Texas again, and so glad for each and every one of you that are here tonight. And uh, we are anticipating uh, a wonderful weekend in the Lord. Tomorrow night, going to be ministering on the Holy Spirit, and we'll be praying for believers to be filled with the Spirit. Sunday morning, and it, unless the Lord leads differently, but I prepared a message right before I left home to come here and uh, dealing with the uh, New Jerusalem and uh, some prophecy. And, uh, and I, I, I'm kind of feeling led to preach that Sunday morning uh, unless the Lord leads in a different direction. So try to be with us in the services, and we pray that they will be a blessing to you. So good to see Charlie Blake. Charlie was our organist for many years in the church and on the road in crusades all over the United States and around the world. And we love you, Charlie. It's good to see you again. It's only been 30-something years. We just have to make sure it's not so long next time. But so good to see him and so good to be with Pastor J.R. and his wife again this weekend. Come to know them in the last couple of years and love them and appreciate them. And if you're a visitor in the vicinity and you're not committed to a home church, let me encourage you to come back and visit Mag Church. I, I, I'm an old guy and I'm not used to these names for churches. Mag Church, Mauriceville Assembly of God. And uh, so come back and be a part. You will be fed from the Word of God. You will be instructed from the Word of God. You will be discipled from the Word of God. And boy, if you've got that for a pastor, you are a people most fortunate. And I can say that you have that kind of pastor right here at Mag Church, Mauriceville, Texas. After the service, go back to the table in the back, and we have uh, some, uh, some items that I think will be a blessing to you. I've got a couple of Dad's music CDs. This is his newest one, Sweet Hour of Prayer. It's his newest one until, I think it's next month, he'll release a new one. And this one that he's releasing next month is an absolutely, it's unbelievable. 
It is a one of a kind. It is the first time that he's ever recorded a duet album. And he did it with his cousin, Jerry Lee Lewis. And it's going to be released, and it's got a great title. Jimmy Lee and Jerry Lee. <laughs> the boys from Faraday. And, uh, and, but, you know, it's, it's so amazing. You know, Jerry Lee uh, is, was one of the, he was an original member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And then two weeks ago, he was just placed in the country music Hall of Fame, one of very few artists in the history of music that's in both Hall of Fames. But as wonderful as that is, the most important thing, about two years ago, he called Dad and said, Jimmy, I've made things right with the Lord. And uh, that's the most important thing. And uh, so it's going to be out next month. And then this one, I love this one. This one titled, It Is Finished. And it's one of the best songs that Bill Gaither ever wrote. It is finished. And, you know, uh, I was with Bill just a few weeks ago, and he made this statement. He said, you know, no one records my songs and interprets them the way Jimmy Swagger does. He said, he interprets them the way that I think they should be. And, uh, and this one, it is finished. It was so interesting. He called Dad and, uh, a while back, and they were talking. And he said, Jimmy, he said, there's a song I wrote that you've never recorded. He said, okay, what is it? He said, it is finished. And Dad said, well, I don't know if I've heard that one. Was he, had, he did. He just didn't remember it. So Bill, being the, the you know, the guy's written 800 songs, and he, he's not lacking for anybody to record his music, but he's a pure 100% song plugger. He wants to make sure everybody records his songs. And so he said, oh, well, I'll sing it for you. And so he starts singing, and they say, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard that. And he goes, oh, I tell you what, Bill, I'll record it. He said, matter of fact, I'm going in the studio tomorrow to record a brand new album, and I'm going to do that song, and it wound up being the title song, and, and uh, so those are back there. You know, Dad, Dad's not, he's not really a singer. He's a stylist. You can't put his style in any particular category. He just interprets music as he does, you know, um, and he likes those old songs, real old. A while, a while back, and this was a few years ago, and I was in my office, and uh, I heard him walk out of his office. He was talking to uh, his secretary, and, and, you know, my dad, his whisper can be heard six blocks. <laughs> he has no filter. I mean, we're in restaurants. Right? Bring it down. And so he, uh, so I... All of a sudden, I heard that voice. But he goes, I got to figure out a title song for this new album. And I was sitting at my desk, and I just yelled out, I've got it. There's a pause, and he comes walking. I hear him walking. He said, how can you have a title? You've never, you haven't heard it yet. I said, I don't need to hear it. I don't need to hear a single song. But I've got the title. Well, what is it? I said, the title should be, Jimmy Swaggart sings Methuselah's Favorites. (laughs) 
he busted out. I said, well, let me, say, he said, let me tell you something. Them songs are so old, most people think they're new. And so, but anyway, go back there and pick them up. They'll be a blessing to you. This is Dad's autobiography entitled Amazing Grace. If you want to know how this ministry started and how it came about, his background, you need to pick that up. And then I have the two DVDs of my two seasons of a program that I put together uh, on the network a couple years ago entitled Preachers, Patriots, and Providence. I love history. I, I am a history fanatic. I am constantly reading and studying. I love, as I said, I love history. And <clears throat> what we've done in this, what I've tried to do in this was to rebut the lies that try to tell us today that our country was not founded on Judeo-Christian principles. And so season one, we deal with how this country was founded and the men involved and the influence of Christianity. And then season two is entitled The Leaders of Liberty. And we take the words of these great leaders, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Alexander Hamilton, Noah Webster, Daniel Webster, John Quincy Adams, John Adams, Benjamin Rush, Roger Sherman, founding fathers and others that signed the Declaration of Independence, and in their own words, what they had to say about the Bible, Christianity, Jesus Christ, the founding of this nation on Christian principles. So you're going to hear exactly what they had to say. And when you get through watching it, you're going to know that this nation is a Christian nation. We may not be living right as a nation, but the foundation of this nation is in God we trust. And so I would encourage you to go back after the service and pick them up. There's a lot of other things. And, you know, it's, it's six months from now. Christmas will be here. And I'm just going to start Christmas right now. You know, why wait to Thanksgiving? And what do they call that? Black Friday? We'll, we'll just have White Friday. We're just going to start Christmas right now. And uh, so buy, get some of your Christmas shopping done early. And don't buy an ugly tie that nobody will wear. Don't buy something that when they open it, they'll look at it and go, oh, just what I wanted. But not very much. But get them something that will feed their soul and their spirit. Amen? So go back to the table back there. Open your Bibles to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, going to read the first nine verses, a little bit more text than I normally read. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. Now, I want you to notice the language of the Holy Spirit as we begin this particular chapter. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethsaida, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after, uh, stepped in was made whole of whatever disease he had. 
And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. It's interesting to note this man was infirmed for thirty-eight years. And it was thirty-eight years that Israel wandered in the wilderness. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, Will you be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but why I am coming another steps down before me. Jesus said unto him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately... The man who was made whole took up his bed and walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath. And I want to minister (coughs) this evening on a subject entitled, The House of Grace and Mercy. Wherever Jesus is, you'll find grace and mercy. Now, you're not here tonight. I said, wherever Jesus is, you're going to find grace and mercy. Would you bow your heads? Father, we come before you tonight in the name of your son, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the privilege that we have to be here in Mauriceville. We thank you for these that have taken time out of their busy schedule to be here tonight. And Lord, I'm asking that you would anoint me to minister the word and anoint these, your people, to hear and to receive. And those that are joining us on YouTube as we stream live, that the word would go forth to minister them to them as well. And Lord, we pray for your grace and mercy to ring true tonight, to stir the hearts of every person that is here. Whatever their need may be, spiritual, physical, financial, domestic, emotional, whatever that need is, let your grace and your mercy flow to minister to their heart and their life tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Many years ago, I think this happened in the early 80s in the country of Canada. Out in western Canada where they have large Indian reservations. They call them, we call them Native Americans here. But in Canada, they're called First Nation people. And on one of the particular reservations up there was a a missionary. Uh, and a Canadian evangelist who had a burden and a heart to minister to the different tribes. And he would spend so many months out of the year holding revivals on these Indian reservations. And I heard him share this particular story that was just outstanding. He said he had set up a tent on this particular reservation. He began to preach, and the second night of the services... As they were leaving, and the the tent was set up miles in the reservation, so you had to drive 9, 10, 11 miles before you got to the main highway to leave the reservation. And he said it was abject poverty. Most of the reservation were alcoholics. Alcohol just destroying their lives. And, you know, I want to stop there just for a moment. J.R. and I were talking today about the rise of drinking in churches. And I just want to make this statement. Alcohol has absolutely no place in the life of a believer. People may get upset, but I don't care. To drink is to sin. Hello? 
That's all I'm going to say. If you don't like it, you're wrong, I'm right. <laughs> and I'll go to bed knowing I'm right. And I'll get up knowing I'm right. And I'll go home to be with the Lord knowing I'm right. And I'll stand before the Lord knowing I am right on that. And if you're going to, if you're a visitor and you're going to a church and you've got a pastor that won't stand against alcohol, you need to leave that church. You need to get out of there and find a church that stands for righteousness. And he said that he was driving and they noticed a little Indian boy walking by himself on the side of the road. And as they passed him, they looked, he recognized him. He said, told his wife, that little fellow was in the service tonight by himself. And he was only about 10, 11, 9 or 10 years old, but walking in the pitch black dark. Something about that stirred him, and he stopped the car, and he turned around and drove back and stopped by this little boy, and he said, young man, do you need a ride? He goes, yes, sir. Got him in the car. He said, well, how, how far do you need to go? He said, oh, it's about six or seven miles. He said, how did you get here tonight? I walked. By yourself? Yes. Why? He just said, I, I just needed something. Well, where is your mother and father? He said, they're in jail. Both of them. He said, well, who do you live with? He said, I live with my grandparents. He said, will they let you walk? all this way and he said well and he was he could tell he didn't want to answer the question but finally the young man did he said well they're drunk they were passed out on the floor so it, they don't know where I am drove him back to the house and he said it was absolutely heartbreaking it was filthy Walked into the house and both the grandmother and the grandfather were literally passed out on the floor under the influence of alcohol. The next night came to the tent and there was that little fella. And he went up to him and said, did you walk all this way again? He said, yes. He said, well, I'll take you back home. Brought him back home, and he said, are you coming tomorrow? He goes, yes, sir. He said, I'll come pick you up. So he started picking this little fella up and bringing him back after church, and he noticed he would sit there, and he would worship the Lord. He would cry out to God, and yet his heart was broken knowing what he had to go home to. And so after several weeks of this revival and getting to know this little fella, he went to the grandparents, and he told them, he said, it's obvious you cannot take care of this young man. He's not going to school. He, he, he's not being fed properly. And I don't want to turn you in, but would you allow him to come live with us? We'll bring him back. You'll see him all you want to, but let him spend the night in our house. And they said yes. So he brought him home and his wife and him, they actually took him in and raised him as their own son. 
until by the time that he was in his early 20s, still living in their house, serving the Lord and called to preach and started going with this evangelist back to the very reservation that they had brought him out of to preach the gospel. One day they came home and the young man was sitting in the den and he was, they knew when they walked in that something serious was wrong with him. And they asked him, what's wrong? He said, my, my, I just got word that my mother has died or is, going, is, on, is, is on her deathbed. And I, I'm going to see her. Still in prison. Went to the prison to visit with his mother. She rejected him. But he hung in there trying to minister to her. And lo and behold, she bounced back for a season. And in a short time, she was given parole on time served. And she came home. And this young man was so excited. He said, you know, I'm not holding it against my mother. She's bound by alcohol. She doesn't know what she's doing. And I'm going to love her. I'm going to forgive her. And he started going over to the reservation trying to minister to his mother. But when he came home one day, he was brokenhearted. He said, she told me to leave her alone. If she had to choose between me and God and the bottle, she chooses the bottle. And it wasn't long after that the mother died. And this young man was devastated. And the devil began to use this rejection by his mother against him and begin to weigh upon him and he began to seek, sink into depression as the devil would speak to him and said, you know, you call yourself a preacher and you can't even reach your own mother. Your mother rejected what you had to say. And if your mother won't accept what you have to say, what makes you think anyone else will listen to you? Let me tell you something. Satan knows how to emotionally tear at you. And he began to sink deeper and deeper and deeper into depression. They, they did their best to cheer him up. And, and I heard the evangelist say later that we, we really didn't know how bad it was. We really didn't know how deep the depression was. We, we didn't see how deep the oppression. Oppression is the powers of darkness that come to war against the mind of the child of God to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The world calls it depression, but when it comes to a child of God, it is oppression, demon spirits that war against the mind. And we didn't know it, but this young man began to contemplate suicide. Finally, one night, the young man broke. In his bedroom about 2 o'clock in the morning, it finally broke. I can't live anymore. I'm going to kill myself. Wrote a suicide note. Thanked 
this evangelist and his wife for their love and their kindness for opening up their home to him. Thank them for what they had given to him, education, love, food, shelter, a home, stability in his life. Left the letter open on his desk, snuck downstairs, took the shotgun from the gun case, took shells, took the keys of the man's car, and his intention was to drive to an area of the reservation that he knew that nobody would be at, and it would be days probably before they found him. And he was going to blow his brains out. The evangelist said that the young man got in the car. What the young man didn't know, this evangelist was loved dad's ministry and had ordered one of dad's music CDs. It had come in that day. The man had picked it up at the post office, and when he got out, he opened it up, took it out of the cellophane, took it out of the jewel box, and stuck it in to the CD player and had listened to it. And now it had gone through all 10 songs, and it was queued up to start all over again, just as that young man turned the engine on. And the moment he turned that engine over, all of a sudden, Dad's voice came booming out of the speakers. And he began to hear Dad sing, Got any rivers you think are incrossable? Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? God specializes in things thought impossible, and he'll do for you what no other can do. And that young man said the power of God came down into that car. He began to weep, and he said, the Lord spoke to me and said, I'll be your father, I'll be your mother, I'll be your sister, I'll be your brother, I'll be a cousin, I'll be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I'm here to tell you tonight, there is nothing that you're facing that God is not able to handle. There is no sickness. There is no sin. There is no problem. There is no difficulty that is too big for God. Hallelujah. Like the songwriter said, got any rivers you think are incrossable? Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? God special. I like that. God specializes in your mess. Whatever your problem is, God specializes in it. Hallelujah. If you're sick, he's the healer. If you're bound, he's the one that can break the bondage. If you can't pay your bills, he's the greatest banker the world has ever seen. Hallelujah. If you don't know which way to go, he's the way maker. Hallelujah. And he'll do for you what no other will do. Everything that Jesus did, when you read in the Gospels of these great miracles that he performed, everything that he did was not only for the person in question, but also for us today. In other words, when you read the Gospels and you read these miracles, don't read them with the idea in mind only of that's what he did 2,000 years ago for Jairus. Don't just read it, that's what he did 2,000 years ago in the temple with the man with the withered hand. Don't just read 2,000 years ago of when he took the loaves and the fish. 
and he multiplied them and fed the multitude. But read them in this light. What he did then, he can do today. As Paul said, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. As the Word of God says, I am God and I change not. Hallelujah. He can do it. Whatever you need him to do, he can do it. Hallelujah. And I guess what? Not only can he do it, but he wants to do it. He doesn't want to withhold things from us. We withhold from ourselves. God never withholds from a heart that is willing and where faith is right. He never withholds. So everything that he did always had a bigger reason, a greater purpose. In this miracle that I have read to you tonight, it, it, it actually was portraying Israel. As this man was sick, Israel was sick. As he was crippled, Israel was crippled. But as well, it, it, it speaks to us today as well. I told you at the beginning to pay attention to the statement where I read, and it was the Feast of the Jews. This was speaking of the Feast of Passover. Passover represented, as you should know, it represented Calvary. It was the Feast of Passover, looking back when the children of Israel were in Egyptian bondage. And the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Tell the people to take a lamb. A spotless lamb, cut its throat, drain the blood, take hyssop, which was the leaves that grew by the Nile River, and the hyssop spoke of the humanity of Christ. Take the hyssop, dip it in the blood, and apply it to the doorpost, once in the middle, once on the right, once on the left, forming a cross. And he said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. But I want you to notice, he did not call it the Feast of Passover. He said it was the Feast of the Jews, meaning God no longer recognized it. He no longer recognized it, and he no longer honored it, because it was nothing more than religious men Carrying out a religious duty. In other words, there was no heart in it. In other words, it was just ceremony. In other words, it was not true worship. They were just going through the motions. They were just doing a religious routine. And sad to say, that's where the modern church is today, by and large. We go through the routine. We know what's going to be said. We know the songs that are going to be sung. We've got too many men standing behind the pulpit that don't have a touch from God. They haven't been touched by God. Their lips have not been touched by a coal from the altar. They don't know what it is to seek the Lord. They don't know what it is to rightly divide the word of truth. And it's just become nothing more than a religious gathering. And there's no spirit in it. And there's no life in it. 
because the presence of God is not welcome. Let me tell you something tonight. The most precious commodity in the world is the presence of God. Without the presence of God, there's no reason to have church. Without the presence of God, there's no reason to sing. Without the presence of God, there's no reason to gather. We have, but we have every Sunday churches gathering, worshiping a God they don't even pray to. And how can you worship someone that you don't pray to? There is no hunger and thirst after righteousness. The feast of the Jews, just a ceremony. The Bible said that there was a pool of water called Bethesda. The actual meaning of that word Bethesda is house of grace and mercy. That now religion doesn't know what grace is. And religion has no mercy. Religion just seeks to control. That's all religion wants to do. Matter of fact, in the oh, if you go back and look at some of the dictionaries of a 200 years ago, and you look under the word religion, one of the meanings of the word religion was to bind. That's what religion wants to do. It wants to bind you. But Jesus wants to set you free. Hallelujah. Jesus wants to set you free. Hallelujah. I remember, this just popped into my head. I just remember, oh, that's bad. When I start thinking of things, because there's no telling what pops in there sometimes. But I can remember in 1967, some of you were not even born back then. There were not dinosaurs roaming the earth back then. But people were wearing bell bottoms. Bad. And men were wearing platform shoes. Real bad. And tie-dye shirts. Everybody's going, peace, man. Peace, man. Because that summer of 67, that was the summer of love. If you're going to San Francisco, be sure to wear a flower in your hair. Hippies. We were in a nine-week Revival in Detroit, Michigan. Now, there you go. There you go. Are you from Detroit? Yes, sir. God help you. Yeah. <laughs> Brightmore Tabernacle. Nine week revival. And there was a Christian radio station in that town. And the manager went to that church. Brightmore Tabernacle. And he started having daddy every day would have him come in and just turn over the network to him. And dad would teach, talk, whatever the case may be, play music, and he would talk about the Holy Spirit. And we were seeing people filled with the Holy Spirit. And one night, or one day, he got a call while he was on the air. And it was from a young man who was a pastor in the area of a non-Pentecostal church and said, Brother Swaggart, I've been listening to you every day. I've been coming to the services. 
and I don't understand what's going on. I don't know what it is, but you've got something that I don't have, and I want it. Hallelujah. I want it. There's something. I sense something. I don't have, and I don't know what it is, but I want it. And Dad said, it's the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and you need it. No ifs, ands, and buts about it. You need it. And he said, well, I'm going to seek the Lord for it. A couple of days later, come back and said, Brother Swagger, I didn't tell you this, but my father-in-law is the head of our denomination for this state. And they were, ooh, they were anti-Pentecostal. I mean, they didn't believe in it whatsoever. And so... He said, my father-in-law said that he wanted to meet you. And dad said, well, that would be fine. Tell him to come to the church on Saturday morning at 10 o'clock. I'm there to pray. I get there about 8 o'clock in the morning. I pray. I'll be waiting for you. And he said, I'll, I'll be there with him. He said, 10 o'clock. Dad said, 10 o'clock Saturday morning. Talking about religion and the, different, the presence of God. And about 10 o'clock that morning, he said he was walking up and down like I am praying, and he heard the door open, he looked up, and there came in that man. And he had a whole stack of books going to prove the infilling of the Holy Spirit's wrong. When you got to have that many books, you might have a problem. Hello? And, and so... Daddy saw him coming, and he set those books down, and he goes, and in his heart, the Lord spoke to my dad and said, ignore his hand, hug his neck. And dad said, he reached over and grabbed and said, brother, how are you? And he said, that guy's hands were just limp, his arms. And he said, he pushed dad and said, I don't believe in this. And dad said, well, that's all right. You can't convince me. Dad said, well, I'm not here to convince you. He said, you, he said, your argument is not with me, sir. Your argument is with the Bible. And he kept, he said, well, I, he dad said, you don't need all those books. Let's just go to the Word of God. And the man just walked said, I don't understand this. I don't understand. He said, you know something? He said, I just don't. He said, I don't understand you Pentecostals. He said, I told, now this is whole funny. I told my son-in-law when he told me that he was seeking for this Holy Spirit stuff, I told him, don't sign anything. <laughs> and he said, well, Dad, I don't think that's a part of the deal. I don't think you've got to sign a contract. Don't sign anything. And, he, their, and their office was all the way across the state. And he said, we drove to this young man's house. He said, we were with him. We've been with them for over a week. And he said, when we got there, he said, we sat down with them. And I was trying to talk to them and tell them, this is wildfire. This is fanaticism. And my, that, my son-in-law finally looked at me and said, Dad, you're too late. You're too late. Last night, your daughter and I both went through to the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Now this, um, but this was the kicker. He said, 
Sunday morning, the father-in-law said, we went to his church. And he said, I've got to admit something. I don't believe in this stuff, but I've got to admit something. He was a terrible preacher. But he, he said, he was terrible. But he said, yes, Sunday morning, when he, last Sunday morning when he stood up to preach, he said it was like it was listening to a brand new person. I mean, there was a fire to him. There was a spirit. When he said that, Daddy said, you just proved my point. Hallelujah. But here's the thing. Then he said, I felt God. Hallelujah. That's what it's all about. The presence of God. Hallelujah. And there was this pool of water, the house of grace and mercy. The Bible says that there lay, now listen to the terminology here, there lay a great multitude of people, of impotent, now notice the terminology, of impotent folk, blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. The Bible says, I read it to you, that at a certain point in time each year, an angel, a literal angel, and this is not tradition or a fable, this is real. An angel would come down and stir the waters. And whoever got in the waters first instantly received their healing. Now I want to stop right here and make a parenthetical insertion into my message. I got news for you. The waters are being stirred. I believe a move of God is coming. I believe a move of God is coming. I, you're not here tonight. I believe a move of God is coming. Hallelujah. I preached a few weeks ago on Sunday morning out of the book of Psalms. And as the psalmist cried out, will you revive us again? And I said, I want to answer that question. Will the Lord revive the church once again? And I began to relate to the people how when I was studying this, the Holy Spirit took me over to the book of Ezekiel. And I opened it up and the question, can these bones live again? Hallelujah. And I began to read where God brought life back in that valley of dry bones. And it raised up, and the scripture said he raised up an exceeding great army. I can feel that right now. I got news. for He will revive us again. The waters are going to be stirred. I said the waters are going to be stirred. You're going to see the sick healed. You're going to see the blind see. You're going to see the lame. Well, I believe it. Hallelujah. You're going to see sinners saved. You're going to see homosexuals set free. You're going to see transgenders released and, and delivered from the confusion of their mind as to what gender they are. The waters are going to be stirred one more time. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. In the, in the giving of this, this great multitude, impotent folk, blind, halt, withered, waiting. That's a perfect, these terms are perfect descriptions of the condition of the world. First of all, it said a great multitude. The majority of the world is going to hell. Seven billion people on planet Earth. 
I don't remember the number now, but a little while back I, I, I looked it up at how many people die worldwide every single second, and the number was staggering. Every second that goes by, all over the world, people slip into eternity. And the reality is the vast majority of them are lost. They die and they go to hell. That's why the Lord said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Didn't mean that every person is going to get saved. But every person deserves the right to hear at least once. A great multitude. When you look over television, you look at Ukraine and the, the war that's going on, most of those people are lost. When you look at China, 1.4 billion people and at least 90% at the don't know anything about Jesus. Russia, India, the list goes on and on. A great multitude. We have a big job, but we serve a big God. We, we have a big job, but we serve a big God. That's the why that if, you, if, if, if you're a visitor and your church does not have a worldview, you're not going to the right church. The, every church should have some type of mission program. I appreciate what JR, this church, does with SBN. God has called us and raised us up to take this gospel around the world. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. That's what we live for. That's what we breathe for. Don't care about anything else. It's souls have got to be reached. It said they were impotent. That word impotent means feeble in any sense of the word, but more so feeble in mind. And I'm not meaning mental illness. I mean a sinner does not think straight. That's the unredeemed cannot think straight. Therefore, because they can't think straight, they'll go by crystals and worship rocks and worship animals. Hello? I was in India preaching years ago, and I got into a conversation with a Hindu holy man, one of their preachers. And we were talking, and I said, and they, they worship about a billion, I mean, about a million gods. Everything's a god. You can't step on a cockroach. It might be your uncle. <laughs> and they believe that the, they believe in reincarnation. But here, here, here is, when you, when you don't know the Lord, you, you're just warped in your mind. Because the highest form of, rein, of reincarnation is not to come back as a human being but a cow I could think of a few things better than a cow hello but if, if, you, if you live a good life 
and you die, then, then you, you, your prayers that you will become, you'll, you'll come back reincarnated as a cow. And here's a country that can't feed itself. People are starving. And there's cows everywhere. Hello? Hello? I mean, the first time I went to Calcutta and I got in the airport, there was cows walking through the terminal. Because they're God. You can't tell God to take a hike. Hello? People, they don't think straight. And I said, so this cow is the highest God you worship. Oh, yes, that's right. And I said, well, I am confused. He said, well, what are you confused about? And I said, well, you know, I see cows pulling wagons with people in the wagon. That's right. I said, well, if the cow is God, Shouldn't the cow be in the wagon and the people pulling the wagon? Think about it. He didn't answer that. Feeble-minded. We, 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 we have, I was co- commenting to someone before the service at how fast in a little over a year and a half our country has deteriorated. I mean, quickly. I don't know what's going to be left in 2024 because we've got a bunch of feeble-minded people that don't know God, that in reality are God-haters, that are opposed to this service tonight. They think that we're kooks. They call us domestic terrorists. They don't, they don't realize that we're the only thing that's holding this feeble country together. Feeble-minded, blind, not so much physically blind, but it speaks of spiritually blind. The world that doesn't know the Lord, they are blind. Withered, speaks of paralysis. The hand or the legs, the feet, they don't work right. Man without Christ does not work right. Right. Everything is withered. We, 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 we look, we're, we're paying, we will be paying $10 a gallon for gas before long. And if those idiots have their way, we'd all be on the road hitchhiking. Hello? We, we, when you're withered, your mind is withered. Oh, we've got to have green energy. Never mind, it costs more for the green energy than it does for fossil fuels. It's stupid. It's stupid. I'll even take it further. If you're not, in, if you're not saved, you're borderline insane. Paralyzed. But also, that's a perfect picture of religion. Uh, religion is paralyzed. 
Our churches are paralyzed. Too many preachers are paralyzed. They're afraid of what people might say. I can't take a stand on this or I can't take a stand on that. My God, people are going to hell. The church is in trouble and we're worried about somebody getting mad. God, help us, give us somebody to stand up and say, thus says the Lord. People's souls are at stake. Paralyzed, paralyzed. <coughs> I mean, I've been on this earth 67 years. I know more preachers than I do people. I've been in every kind of church that you could imagine. That's all I've known is the work of God. And I used to hear preachers, and as even a young boy, I'd walk out, and in my mind, I would, try, I would say to myself, well, were they for it or against it? I couldn't tell. They straddled both sides. And I made up my Lord, if you ever call me to preach, they may hate me, but when I get through preaching, there's not going to be any doubt in anybody's mind what I say and what I believe. Waiting. Said they were waiting. The world is waiting. The world is waiting. They're sick and tired of the mess that they're in. They're waiting for a better way. They're waiting for an answer. They're waiting for somebody to say, I've got living water. I've got living bread right here. I got bread for the hungry. I got water for the thirsty. I've got life for the dead. I got light for those in darkness. They that sat in darkness saw a great light. Hallelujah. They're waiting, waiting, waiting. There's more people looking for the truth than you realize. And it's up to us to get the word to them. Hallelujah. Said a certain man was there which had an infirmity 38 years. Think of that, 38 years crippled. The, 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 in, in the Greek, the text lends itself that this man had really never known a life free from this infirmity, whatever it was, meaning he was born with it. That's important because man is born in sin. Now, you need to understand that. Man without God, every human being, you, me, when we were born, we were born in original sin. It was the will of God for Adam and Eve to bring forth sons and daughters of God. But because of their rebellion and their sin, they lost God consciousness, took upon themselves self-consciousness. That's the reason why they knew, they recognized they were naked. When, when Adam and Eve walked this earth, they didn't wear clothes. They were clothed, to use that terminology, in the light of God's glory. But the moment they rebelled, they lost that glory. And they recognized that they were naked. Man is naked and open to the wrath of God. We were born that way. And the best that they could come up with was fig leaves. I was... <laughs> Whatever dumb fad there is, it starts in church. Yeah. 
I was preaching at a big old charismatic church in Illinois. I mean, big church. Didn't know the pastor that well. He comes up to me. He said, who's your covering? I went, what? He said, who's your covering? And I went, the blood of Jesus. And his reply was, well, that's nice, but... I said, what? He goes, yeah, but, but, you know, we all need covering. I said, well, I just got through telling you the blood. Yeah. Oh, that's nice, but we, we, need, we all need a covering on this earth. I said, man, you, you can't get any more thorough than the blood. That's right. That's right. And he goes, and he says, and if you would like, I will be your covering. And I'm just, now you got to understand something about me. I am a nice person, but I don't do stupid. <laughs> I do not tolerate stupid. It's a fault. It's a flaw. But if you're stupid, God help what comes out of my mouth. <laughs> and so I'm just standing there, and I'm looking at him. He goes, would you like for me to be your covering? And I said, well, I appreciate that. That's really nice. But... The only covering that one man can give to another man is fig leaves. And I don't know how much it covers. So I don't know which way to stand. That's exactly what I said. Some of you will get it about 3 o'clock this morning. Oh, born that way. They're born in sin. They cannot save themselves. They cannot justify themselves. They cannot sanctify themselves. They cannot heal themselves. He was born with an infirmity. You can't get any worse infirmity than sin. Sin is a disease that you do not play with. It will kill you. It will destroy you. Sin will steal the money out of your pocket. It will steal the roof over your head. It will steal the shoes off your feet. It will steal the clothes off your back. It will steal your children. It'll steal your home, your marriage. It'll mar you. It'll steal your youth. It'll steal your vigor. It will steal your vitality. The thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The Bible said that Jesus saw him. That's the answer. Now, here's what I want to tell you. As the Lord saw this infirm man 2,000 years ago, he sees you. He sees you. There's not a one of you that he doesn't take note of you. You're not just a number in the kingdom of God. You are a precious soul. You are a son and a daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
You are somebody. You are more important than you realize. I said it a moment ago, and I'll say it again. We, the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're the only thing holding this world together right now. If we were not here, it would be total chaos and anarchy and lawlessness in every street and every home in America. But because of you, we stand as a block, as a wall holding back the tides of darkness. And as he saw him, he sees you. Every tear, he sees it. Every time your heart's been broken, he sees it. Every time you've been wounded in your spirit, he sees it. Nothing escapes his purview. His eyes are all encompassing. You are literally, if you are truly born again, you are literally the apple of his eye. That's an old Hebrew idiom. And it simply meant that when a person looked at someone, they just were not gazing at them, but what they were looking at filled up their pupils. When the Lord looks at you, he doesn't just look at you, he sees you. He sees you. Don't let the devil lie to you and tell you nobody cares. He cares. Don't let the devil lie to you and tell you you're not important. You are so important that God became flesh and died on a cross. You've got to understand something. If, let me tell you how special you are. If you, would be the on, if you were the only single person in all of history that would accept Jesus Christ as Savior, he still would have been born of a virgin and died on a cross and shed his blood. That's how much he loves you. Oh, you can do better than that. Come on. He sees you. It's, it's you know, I, my, all of my kids are grown. 45, 42, 41. But when I see them, I see my babies. They're flesh of my flesh. Hello? They're blood of my blood. When I see my nine grandchildren, they fill up my eyes. They can get anything they want. I, I am a walking ATM machine, and I love every single second of it. And God help you if you touch one of them. If you even look at one of them crossways, I will backslide and beat the snot out of you and then repent. When he sees you, he sees you. And get this. Even with all of our hang-ups, he loves us. With all of our flaws, he loves us. He saw him. And, and in the Greek, the idea that when he saw him, he saw the desperation and the cry of his heart. And Jesus spoke to him some of the greatest words Will you be made whole? Whoa. That's a blank check. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that, was a, that covered everything. Hello? 
They, he, when he said, will you be made whole? This man didn't know the Lord. So he was speaking spiritually, physically, financially, domestically, emotionally. Will you be made whole? Hallelujah. I'm giving you a blank check. Just fill it out. Whatever you need. And that's what he's saying to you today. Whatever you need, I am capable and I am able. Will you be made whole? If you need joy, I'll give it to you. If you need peace, I'll give it to you. If you need life, I'll give it to you. If you're thirsty, I'll satisfy that thirst. I'll give you the joys of your heart. Hallelujah. It's interesting as well in the Greek, that word whole, it means healthy or well, but not just physically. It's healthy or well in whatever capacity you need it. But it also, it's interesting, in the Greek, it also has a figurative meaning. And it means true. True. Will you be made true? Now some of you are like, huh? Will you be made true? Will you be made the way I intended you yeah. to be? Ooh! Hallelujah. It's true as in true doctrine. True life. Hallelujah. And then he said, but I have no man. He was looking to man to solve his problem. I cannot solve your problem. J.R. cannot solve your problem, but he can. We have gone, the, 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 the nation has gone crazy over psychology. Looking to psychology, I have no man. It, it just, it baffles me that people, will pay $125 an hour to go sit down and pour their heart out to somebody. Yeah. And when they get through, they'll say, what do you think? And the answer is always, well, what do you think? <laughs> if I'm paying $125 an hour, even if you have to lie, you better come up with an answer. <laughs> and if they do give you an answer, it's always, almost always, well, it's your mother's fault. Seriously. You're, you're, it's your mama's fault. She didn't hold you long enough. She didn't breastfeed you long enough. Or maybe she breastfed you too long. Whatever it was. I don't If I was a mother, I'd slap every psychologist I met. I have no man. He was depending on man. Human man cannot help you. But the God-man, Jesus Christ. <laughs> then the scripture said, Jesus said, Jesus always has something to say. Boy, y'all are the deadest people I've been around in ages. Jesus always has something to say. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Whatever your question is, he's got something to say about it. Whatever your need, he's got something to say about it. And this is what he said. Rise. 
Satan will always push you down, but the Lord always lifts up. Rise and be healed. Hallelujah. And the beautiful thing about it, healing is not just confined to the physical. He'll heal your mind. He'll heal your pocketbook. He'll heal your relationships. He'll heal your marriage. He'll heal your business. He'll heal whatever needs to be healed. Hallelujah. Rise and be healed. The Lord, as I said, picks us up. And the moment that man started to rise, the power of God flooded him. That's faith. That's faith. He heard the Lord say, rise. And that crippled man said, he may not have understood it, but he said, I'm sick and tired of being here. I'm sick and tired of being sick. I'm sick and tired of being down. I'm going to get up. And the moment faith reaches out, God always responds to biblical faith. Take up your bed. He was no, now get this. He had carried, had been carried, someone had to get up that morning, put him on a blanket, carry him to Bethesda, and set him down. And then they would come back at the end of the day and pick him up. But this day, this day, this day, hallelujah, the very bed he was carried on, he picked it up. And he walked out of there. Hallelujah. Take up your bed and walk. Hallelujah. And the Bible said immediately the man was made up. Now that's all my introduction. Here's my simple point. He came to the house of grace and mercy. And when you come to the house of grace and mercy, whatever your need is, he will meet that need hallelujah whatever your need is get to the house of grace and mercy jesus is the house of the grace and mercy hallelujah jesus is the house of grace and mercy oh you're not here. jesus is the house of grace and mercy hallelujah so he says tonight Whatever your heart's desire and need, come to the house of grace and mercy, and I'll stir the waters. And not just one time, I'll stir it, and I'll keep stirring it. Bow your heads, hallelujah. Father, we come before you in the name of your son, Jesus. Hallelujah. Just lift your hands for a moment and begin to worship Him. Hallelujah, Jesus. We worship you, O Lord. Everyone stand to your feet tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. What do you need? What do you need? What do you need? 
You need healing. You need deliverance. You need hope. You need peace. You need freedom. Whatever you need, come to the house of grace and mercy.